Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to cover the rest of the chapter this morning. Let us once again pray and humble our hearts before our God. Father, we do. We come before you in humility. I come before you, Lord, in recognition that you're our dad. Not only have you created us, but through our faith in your son, you have adopted us as your blood-bought children. You're a good dad. You have perfect wisdom, perfect insight, perfect knowledge. You have the power to bring about your word. So many of your ways, Lord, they're, they're a mystery to us. Your, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The plans that you have, you see them in perfection, and we only see in limited perception. In this life, you tell us to keep our eyes, our minds, our hearts on your Son. So that's what we're here to do this morning. Let us see Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on him. Let us hear your voice, Lord, through your word and through your spirit. We trust you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning in Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore... Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any roots of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food, for one meal, sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpets and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape... Who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, 
Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Consuming fire is what I've titled this morning's message. Here, just subject matter of Hebrews, the whole discussion is that God speaks. God has spoken to us through his son, and his son is better than anyone. His son is better than any religion. His son is better than anything that we could possibly hold on to. And it's following through this argument addressed to Hebrew Christians and their, their struggle that they have drifting back into their old religion. It's, this letter is a constant exhortation for them to keep their eyes on Jesus. At the end of chapter 10, discusses their need and our need of endurance, and endurance becomes this subject matter, this umbrella over the passages that we are dealing with now and over really the last years we sat going verse by verse through Genesis examining faith because the need of endurance is now the one who is just, the one who has been justified shall live the activity of your life, the thoughts of your mind, the transformation of your heart, the just shall live by faith. And in our faith, we need endurance. Throughout the word of God, we have example after example. This is what this individual's life looked like in their relationship with God. This is how they struggled through keeping their eyes and their intention in their life on God. And here's what they did in obedience. As a, as a reminder to us, as an encouragement to us, even as we share in the testimony not only of biblical characters, but of our own lives together, maybe other heroes of the faith outside of the Bible. But again, this, this idea of endurance is what continues to be um, exhorted towards us. In chapter 12, it's let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. Ultimately, this race is it's our faith. It's as we are following Jesus, the path that we are following him on. Our eyes are to be upon him, and he is the one who is in charge of the path that he places each one of our feet on. Last week, dealing with God's chastening can be considered discipline and punishment. At the same time, God's chastening comes into our lives, not just because we've done something wrong or we're not doing what he's telling us to do. This revolves around God training us and transforming us. A continual prayer of my own heart and my own relationship with God It's for him to make me the man of God that he wants me to be. And in that, in submitting myself to that, even as I pray that and even as I want that, I want to free myself from his chastening. I don't want to endure through what he must take me through so that I can be conformed into the image of his son. My mind needs to be transformed. My heart needs to be transformed desperately. My behaviors need to be in line with him and following him and not according to the dictates of my heart and my own imaginations. And this here at the ends of what we covered last week, we're told that God is doing these things in our lives for our profit. Not to damage us, but so that we would be partakers, sharers of his holiness. And this is going to continue this morning. So this week, Tuesday night, Julie and I are going to pick up the boys from football practice. Football practice is running long, so we crawl into the stands and are sitting there attempting to watch the boys play. I have a believer 
behind me, um, pouring out a bunch of bitterness, trying to speak to this individual counsel, my perception of some things. And in this moment, I hear this yell from the field. At the first moment, it sounds like one of those, those yells of, like, I just kicked somebody's butt. I'm awesome, right? One of those. you got to have testosterone to understand this, ladies. But as the yell continued, I'm distracted by this conversation, Julie's. That's Eli. He's hurt. This is confession, so don't judge me. But out of my mouth comes a four-letter expletive of frustration. I have, been in the, I have been in the emergency room four times this year with all three of my children. So the exasperation of my heart is frustration at God. It's not frustration at my son. It's not frustration at the circumstance that's going on. For those of you who know us and that know our sons, they've gotten broken a lot lately. Eli's broken a wrist. Eli's damaged his other knee. Asher broke his wrist. Twin boys, each broke the same wrist in the same body, different bodies, but same genetics. I don't know. You guys are, you're welcome for your genes. Trinity was rear-ended this year. It's just been one thing after another. So as I go down there, I'm standing there watching my son agonize in pain. Watching the coaches try and calm him. And in my heart, I'm standing there just in frustration. I'm seething. I'm angry. And no, it's not anger at God, but it's anger at the circumstance. Do you not think that I pray often for my sons to be protected? For how much hardship that their bodies have gone through? I pray this every single day, especially as they're going out and and playing football. It's a rough sport. I watched two other young men be taken off the field, not of their own strength yesterday at a football game and I'm groaning to myself for them and for their family. Eli gets taken into the trainer's room and they're you know pushing on his knee trying to figure out what's going on and they move it a little bit weird and his whole knee dislocates again. Eli says it was more painful than the first dislocation. As I'm watching my son on a, on a table Grown in pain, and me as a dad, I can't do anything about it. I take that frustration to the Lord in prayer the next morning. I'm writing in my journal, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I'm saying. Here's the circumstance of things, crying out to God. God, I trust you. I immediately, you know, even in my frustration towards God in all of this, my heart is, you know, this is nothing in comparison to what other people have to endure. But here, this is my son. I think that I'm going to turn to James because that's what we're studying in the the men's study Wednesday night. But rather than turning to James, I turn here to Hebrews. And as I've just poured out my heart to the Lord, now sit in these verses with that perspective. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. And immediately I start weeping. Because God's word to me is that he will heal my son. And in my hearing from the Lord, my words to my son is that God will heal you. Now, I can sit in this and and look at it that God is going to miraculously heal his knee. I can look at this that God is going to use modern medicine and doctors to heal his knee. Or I can look at this that his knee, he's going to walk with a limp for the rest of his life and he will be healed on that day when he stands in Jesus' presence. 
What's your choice? What's my choice? I don't think it's going to be of miraculous nature because that's not how the Lord has led my heart in regards to the prayers. As we receive the MRI report on Thursday and heard more testimony about this yesterday as I'm talking to the trainer and the the doctor that operated on Asher's wrist earlier this year. He's in the same practice with the doctor that's going to operate on Elisha's knee on Wednesday. Um, They're in in surgery together, and as a doctor, he's saying, you got to see the pictures of this kid's knee. Because the damage that is done to Elisha's knee is exceptional, even from a medical perspective. And it's going to take an expert, and praise God that we have an expert available, to put his knee together and to make it stronger than it was. And he'll go through the rehab process. As he continues to process in his own relationship with the Lord of, here's a redirection Next six months of his life are not going to be what he had planned. But then we have to sit in this question, is God just? Is God loving? Is God caring? As I am in this angst as a father, am I going to wag my finger and my mouth and my mind and my heart at the God who created me? Or am I going to trust him? I'm going to trust you, Lord. But in the midst of that trust, no chastening seems to be joyful in the present, but it's painful, it's grievous, it's sorrowful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. And these are not just words on a page for me, but this is the very word of God for my life, for my son's life, and for your life. And the exhortation in regards to endurance in our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ is regardless of the circumstances of life, you and I strengthen, rebuild, straighten up your hands which are hanging down in weakness and neglect. The knees which are paralyzed. The make there, this is the word for um, to, to do that. Uh, the idea in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is this same root word. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word straight here, this is ortho in the Greek. It's where we get orthopedics from. Making straight paths for our feet. Again, this is, this is, a, this is the, the responsibility is on us here. Our need for endurance, our need to remain underneath the education, the changing, the transformation that God wants to bring about in our lives. These are things that we need to submit to, that we need to pursue him to rebuild us because all of us are damaged. Not just damaged by original sin, but all of our lives bear the mark of the damage of this world. Relationships, actions. We're looking to God to rebuild us, to straighten us, to make straight paths for our feet. And we need to be intentional. This is, a, this is the New Testament refers to our following Jesus as the way before it ever referred to us as Christians. We are followers of Jesus in the way. That what is lame, what is crippled, may not be dislocated, turned aside, but rather healed and cured the exhortation here in verse 14 is all of this is necessary the hands that are weak and neglected the paralyzed knees that which is lame and dislocated you can't you can't walk if you're lame and you're crippled and dislocated you need to be healed And not only in our initial moments of salvation with Jesus Christ, but there are so many aspects of our minds and our hearts and our personalities that must be healed. 
And a lot of this, this is our sanctification process. But in that healing, it requires this healing from him so that we can pursue him. Look at verse 14, the idea of pursuit. It's being on a hunt, it's chasing, it's running. You think of a a police officer that is in pursuit of a criminal. Is he lazy in this pursuit? Or is there something heated and passionate in this pursuit and in this chase and in this running? But what are we to pursue? What does it tell us to pursue? Does it tell us to run after Jesus? Does it tell us to run after salvation? It doesn't. God is the one who has pursued us. He is the one that hunted us and chased us and didn't let us go and didn't let us escape. He is the one who pursued us. And we're responding to him in his pursuit of us every single day. What we are to pursue intentionally is peace with all people and holiness. God is educating us, training us, chasing us so that we may be takers of what? Partakers of what? Of his holiness. His holiness is something that he grants to us, that he gives to us. And it's something that we are told to hotly pursue in this life. We ended in Revelation 3 last week in just that description of what it means to be lukewarm. Just meh, maybe, versus passionate and zealous in our relationship with the Lord. But here, the idea, what is, why are they being exhorted to pursue peace with all people? Because they lack peace with a bunch of people in their lives. To have peaceful relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with your spouses, with your children, requires intention. It's not easy. It requires that mind, that gaze fixed upon Jesus Christ. It requires it, demands it. In all of these circumstances in life, as I am in angst this week, I'm hearing God for me to get my eyes and my mind and my mouth and my heart on the Lord. As I'm giving Eli the word that the Lord has given to me, I ended the text that I sent to him. Can you imagine the dislocation of Jesus' body on the cross? What Jesus chose to do for us, how he willingly chose to be damaged for us, for all of our damaged bodies, our damaged relationships, whether it's our responsibility, something that we've done, our action, or what somebody has done to us, regardless of what that is, we are to pursue peace with the people in our lives. We're to pursue holiness in this. Andres brought up 2 Peter Love this. I'm turning there. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Incredible promises. We're to pursue peace with all people. We're to pursue holiness. With the knowledge of, without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. And we're going to talk about, again, our eyes on the Lord here in just a minute. But verse 15, looking carefully. All eyes on Jesus, looking carefully. Why? Here's three warnings. Last, first one, is any one of us falls short. And that means to miss out on the grace of God. Without our attention on our relationship with the God who has created us and with the God who loves us, we miss out on his grace, on his unmerited favor, on his graciousness towards us. Even in the midst of, as I'm struggling with the circumstance of life, I can, I'm reminding myself 
about God's grace, about who he is and his nature and character. That's helping me process through the trials and difficulties of this life. But I guarantee to you, and I can bear testimony to you, that there have been multiple occasions where I've missed out on his grace in the circumstance. I've missed out on his grace in the relationship. And when I'm missing out on the, in his grace, usually it's getting into this next warning. There's a root of bitterness that's growing in my heart. I'm growing bitter at the Lord because I'm not getting what I want in this circumstance. The soil in my heart is conducive to some roots being put down. It requires the action of God himself to uproot these bitternesses that we have and in our relationships and our lives and our minds and how we process through. I would exhort you through... I have no doubt the direction of the Holy Spirit to pursue the Lord for the roots of bitterness that you have in your life, for him to do the surgery that's necessary. We hear bitterness in other people. Usually it it takes a lot more for us to hear it in ourselves. So I've been sitting in this text this week. I've, I've had multiple opportunities to just weep before the Lord underneath his chastening as he's revealed to me historical bitternesses, things of relationship, misunderstandings, perspective. Astonished at how I've let roots be there. Things where, that I would tell you in honesty, face to face, that I didn't think that I had any bitterness going on. But once the Lord holds up his, his word to, to me in truth, I can see it there and seeking him to take these things out of me. Gordon just talking earlier about just the work that the Lord is doing specifically in our congregation right now. I can see the extraction of this going on, not only from my own heart, but from other people's hearts. In this activity, I have no doubt that the enemy is hmm, on the move. I'm not, a, I'm not a heavy dreamer. I usually don't put too much stock in dreams that I do have. But as, as Elisha was damaged there with his knee, I had had a dream the night before that he was attacked very specifically. You know, it had been one of those dreams that it was vibrant enough that I remembered it in the morning, but just kind of shelve that kind of stuff and then here he is injured and that comes up to my mind on I don't know if it was Tuesday night or Wednesday night my dream that night was that there was a snake and I'm one of those guys that when I dream about fighting and that kind of stuff I never land any kind of punches it's kind of like yeah you throw a punch and it's just kind of like air You, you can't do any damage And on this one, it was beheading the snake in my dream. We've had, I've had a lot of individual conversations with just different activities of the devil going on in different people's lives. And again, I'm really slow to uh, put the responsibility on the devil. I'm much more likely to place it upon my own stupidity first. Um, But there is no doubt that there is a spiritual world Our God is spirit. He has created spirits. Some of those spirits are in rebellion to him. And they're in their evil. They're not content in their own evil, but want to take as many down with them as possible. Much of that is a mystery. But in that, I'm I'm pausing on this because I have no doubt that God is directing us right now as a congregation, as we minister to him, as we serve him, 
that we would take times in our individual lives and our corporate life together as the body of Christ to be fasting and praying together. Not only for protection, not only that we would be standing in him against the wiles and the schemes of the devil as we are exhorted to in Ephesians 6, but that we would be listening to the Holy Spirit in regards to the work that he's calling each one of you to do in his name's sake, that work which he has prepared beforehand for you to walk in, that straight path, that passionate, zealous attention on Jesus. He's going to empower you path and work that he's calling you and us to do corporately. We sat a lot as in Genesis talking about Esau, so I'm not going to sit in that warning other than to say bitterness is something that was a tremendous part of Esau's life. And in that bitterness, not only did he miss out on the grace of God, he missed out on repentance even though he sought it diligently with tears. Huge warning. The imagery of this next section beginning in verse 16 and there in verse 22 is a contrast between two different mountains. The first description is Mount Sinai. So as God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt and all the imagery that's there and the reality of that event, 90 days later, God has brought them to the foot of this mountain, to the foot of Mount Sinai. You can go, I encourage you, this is a, another favorite passage in the Bible, Exodus 19 and then fast forward to Exodus 32, 33, 34 as you're sitting in their rebellion, just their immediate rebellion again to God and just watching Moses pour out his heart there. Just incredibly ministering a section of God's word to myself and I know it will be to you. But we have not come to the foot of Mount Sinai. We have not come to this mountain that we could touch if we wanted to. This mountain that is burning with fire. And this is the imagery that is God descended upon Mount Sinai. This mountain, it looks like it is being consumed by fire. It's billowing with smoke. It looks like a volcano, but it's not a volcano. This blackness and darkness covering God in a cloud. It uses the language of thunderings and lightnings and this loud trumpet blast. The Jews hear the very voice of God speaking his word. Can you imagine? One of the things that's always broken my heart in that passage is that the Jews look at Moses and say, you go talk to God for us. We do not want to hear his voice because they were afraid. And here in Hebrews it says they didn't want to hear his voice. Why? Because they couldn't endure what God was commanding them. Look at this, look at this language there in verse 19. They begged they begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Have you ever told God or another human being, I don't want to hear it? When it comes to biblical exhortation, anybody? I have. I can remember a specific time when Julie was telling me what the Bible had to say, and I don't want to hear the word of God. I remember those words coming out of my mouth. Don't preach at me. I'm very happy being angry right now. Thank you. Listen to that again. They begged that the word of God would not be spoken to them anymore. I don't want a relationship with God. He's too holy, too powerful, too fearful. The ground is shaking and quaking. The visual that they have before them 
is absolutely incredible and all of us would be quaking and trembling in this experience. And they hear the word of God. Soften it for me, Moses. Soften it for me, Pastor. Make it easier for me to obey. Don't give me the fullness of it. Just give me the highlights of it. Tell me the good things about following Jesus. Don't tell me about the bad things. Tell me about heaven. Don't tell me about hell. Tell me about the blessings. Don't tell me about the chastisement. Tell me what my itching ears want to hear. Tell me what my my hard, rebellious, stiff-necked heart and mind want to hear. Don't tell me the truth. And just so you know, I'm preaching to myself. I love God. I love his word. Sometimes I really want to hear it. Sometimes when it's first spoken to me, it's like, Lord, that is not what I wanted to hear. Wednesday morning. It's not what I wanted to hear. Yet, ultimately, it became exactly what I wanted to hear, what I needed to hear, and it's been ministering to me as his son all week long. This is not the mountain that we have come to. The mountain that we have come to is Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion, this is not just the physical Jerusalem of today. This is that eternal Jerusalem. So there's eight descriptions here of where we have come to, to Mount Zion, which is the city of the living God. And this is all when we talk about end times, when we talk about Jesus coming back and not just for the millennium reign of Christ, but at the end of that millennium when he dissolves here, when it says when he shakes everything, what remains is his heaven and his earth and his city that he will recreate and make new. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Go sit in the last two chapters of Revelation for that imagery. Who's there? This innumerable company of angels, these spirits, ministering spirits that God has created. To what? The general assembly. Man, that word just sounds so boring right there. When I hear general assembly, I think of like the boring state or, you know, state legislature or Congress or sitting with a bunch of guys in their robes all stoic and holy. It sounds like really boring. This word general assembly that we're coming to the general assembly of the church, this is a celebration. This is a festival celebration of the body of Christ that's being described. That's what this word means. And they use such boring general assembly. Think festival celebration of the church, of the firstborn. The heritage that Esau rejected is the heritage that we are looking to in faith in Jesus Christ, who are registered your name through Jesus Christ is written in the book of life. Mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation. We have come to God himself, who is the judge of all. As judge, he has justified, he has made, look at this, to the spirits of just men made perfect, made complete. All those believers, Old Testament, New Testament, that have gone on before us. This is the assembly that we are a part of. To Jesus, who's the mediator of the new covenant. To his blood and the sprinkling of that blood that speaks of better things than that of Abel. What was Abel's blood doing? In the bitterness of Cain's heart, what did Cain do to his brother? He murdered him. And that blood of Abel was crying for what? Judgment. Justice. His blood speaks to us of God's judgment, of his justice, satisfied through his sacrifice. Jesus' blood speaks of the best things. Now the exhortation, church. See. 
earlier, beginning in chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, getting your eyes and your gaze fixed upon Jesus. Earlier in verse 15, looking carefully so that you don't fall short, so that you don't miss out on the grace of God and all the rest. See, pay attention, get your eyes on Jesus. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. The word there for refuse literally is begging to be excused. So when we hear the word of God, when you sit in it and read the word of God, have you ever tried to justify why you don't have to obey it? Anybody? Am I the only one? Love your enemies. Go the second mile. Don't murder, which means don't hate. Don't commit adultery, which means don't lust. Don't covet. Obey me. Be ready. Pray. Read. Study. That's for the professional Christian. Your heart, your sinful, wicked, dark heart will make a convert of your mind. Process through excuse after excuse after excuse of why this doesn't apply to you today. We're told to see. That means set your mind on Jesus. And when we set our mind on Jesus, he will be the one who makes a convert of the heart. He will take what is naturally dark and absent of God, and he will transform it. He will take this hard stone in my chest and has, and he'll write his word upon it. His words, not mine. He'll make it a fertile soil that as his word is implanted into my heart, it's going to yield his peaceable and righteous fruit. It's going to yield love. It's going to yield patience. It's going to yield a transformed character. It's going to yield a transformed mouth. It's going to yield transformed behavior. But it won't yield that if I don't submit this to him. I have to choose. I have to choose to listen. I have to choose to chase. I have to choose to pursue. And I'll, I'm just, I'm following Jesus on the path that he has set before me. But in following Jesus, in my saved relationship with him, I have to make the diligent choice every single day to sit with him and to follow him just like you do. Don't beg to be excused from him who speaks. I had a conversation with a brother this week who told me he, he never hears the voice of God. I walked through the circumstance with, with Eli, with him, and this is, this, is what, this is what happened. This is how I was responding to God. This is what I just written down. And the first words that I turned to and I read in the Bible was specifically the voice of God to me in that circumstance. I heard God's voice and I received his promise and I'm proclaiming that promise, trusting in him. That never happens to you? No. Another moment that I had this week of groaning. I've had multiple, just sitting in this week's prayer requests, the things that are going on in people's lives. I watched our brother Stiff Neck Pete walk into the church this morning. I was reminded about his own groaning. So much in this life we groan, pray, 
Don't refuse him who speaks. Why? Because nobody escapes who doesn't listen. Did that make grammatical sense? Nobody who doesn't listen escapes. There we go. Last verse. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. This is your choice. Let us have grace. It is his gift that is given to us. It's the understanding of his nature and character of who he is. It's that reminder that we sit in on a daily basis of what he is as being gracious, what it is for him to give grace, what it is to receive grace, what it is to live by grace, what it is to be saved by grace, what it is to hope in his grace, what it is to speak and act in his grace. Individually and corporately, let us have, possess Grace by which it is his grace, it is through his grace that we serve him. And this word for service, it encompasses not just our activities, it's, it encompasses our relationship with the God who has, who has saved us, who has created us. And this word, it's, it's through his grace that we not only have a relationship with him and serve him and, and act in response to him, but it's through that grace that as we're going about our life that it's, it's pleasing to him. It's acceptable to him. It's with this idea of reverence. And this idea of reverence, it's, it's, a, it's having, the, uh, this is a great definition, a moral repugnance to anything that is not of God. Last week... And this is quick and it's worth it. Uh, we had a rotting animal by the carport. When I walked over here to church last week, there were nine vultures outside waiting to eat this carcass of whatever it was. But the smell was breathtaking. Literally, by the carport, you could not breathe because it was so repugnant. And this is the idea of serving God with reverence. That what is not of him would be repugnant to us. That it would take our breath away in disgust. All those sins which easily beset us. Bitterness. Inactivity. Lethargy. That those things would be far from us as we pursue our relationship with God. Pleasing him with reverence and godly fear. That devout Fear, which we were told earlier in Hebrews 5, that that is how Jesus served his Father. For our God is a consuming fire. The sun without water will bake that clay hard, right? You can see that dry riverbed, and as the sun beats down on it, it just cracks and breaks. But when that's, that dry riverbed has living water flowing through it, the same sun that is shining down through the power of the water that is there, all of a sudden life, the plants grow, they're nourished. Psalm 1, the tree that is planted by that living water will not wither, will be nourished daily, will bear the fruit that God has created it to. So as we talk about our relationship with God, depending upon the Holy Spirit, this imagery of living water, God's consuming it says he's pruning us he is removing those dead branches he is removing those things and and burning out the dross of our lives he's refining us he's skimming those things off of our minds and our hearts that's this idea of God being a consuming fire at the same time he's that consuming fire in judgment Injustice. Nothing dark, nothing unclean, nothing rebellious, 
nothing defiled can or will remain in his presence. And it is through Jesus Christ, through our relationship with him, where we already have been refined, we are being refined, and there's coming that day when he finally shakes the heavens and the earth again, that we will remain in his presence for all eternity, fully made new, fully made like him, perfect relationship. Keep that hope before you because it's that hope that we're told in 1 John that purifies our souls. Worship team, come on up. So Father, we once again, we submit ourselves to your your training, your hands, your life, your power. We come to you in humility. We come to you in reverence. We come to you through your grace. We come to you through your love. We come to you in brokenness. We come to you in bitterness. We come to you in praise come to you in hope we come to you in your healing we come to you in your righteousness we come to you made new your spirit has called us to come Lord we come thank you for chasing us Jesus Thank you that we don't have to hunt for you. That we don't have to chase you down. That we don't have to impress you or or damage ourselves in a way to get your attention. You were fully attentive to us already. As a perfect, holy, and loving Father. So we submit ourselves, Lord, to your plan, to your will. We're asking, Lord, that you would enable us to hear your voice. Lord, give us the power to pursue peace with other human beings. Give us the power to pursue your holiness. Give us the power, Lord. Your word tells us to pursue love. Lord, free our minds and our hearts from our excuses. Confront us and convict us in our excuses that we so easily repeat. Transform us. Make us new. Make us those vessels that you've created us to be, Lord. Be at home in us. Be holy in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.